Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute podcast, episode number 76. And today we are talking about justifying all of the decisions about your hazards in your hazard analysis. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Development Institute podcast, where we serve up truth so that you can build the profitable, sustainable food business you've always dreamed of. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele. All righty. Good afternoon. Hello, my fabulous friends. It is time for an episode of the podcast. I have been doing so much as um, we work on what's going on with the coronavirus as I work with my clients. Um, I I just got off with a call with somebody who is recognizing the opportunity we have in the cannabis field now (laughs) Um, and is making a pretty big investment in cannabis because shocking approximately nobody, cannabis stocks and and like the cannabis world is going really up. And um, I think the latest I heard from Colorado is that um, cannabis uh, consumption is up 122% over last week, my friends, and 420 isn't even here yet. So anyway, uh, so yeah, food safety matters in the cannabis industry as well. So welcome everybody. We are of course recording this live on the proofing box. I am going to be recording today's podcast and then I will have office hours for you. Um, I'm here to answer all of your coronavirus questions. I got some really good ones actually. And so I am going to be talking about animal disease models of coronavirus. For those of you who don't know, I was a lab animal uh, veterinarian for a very long time. um, And that was always my that was always what I was going to do with my life. And then the Great Recession happened and we, um, my, the industry I trained for basically doesn't exist in the United States anymore. Um, and so I brought all of my skills over to the food side of the house. So, um, as, so I am recording this on Thursday, March 19th. It's going to be, um, it's going to be released later today. I have been going live every day here in the proofing box via my Dirigofu page doing life coaching. Okay, so here's the truth, y'all. Y'all need a life coach right now, and I am offering it for free for an investment of your time. It is literally life-changing, the stuff that I am offering. Today, we talked about shame. All of those videos are, um, they should all be simulcasted here in the proofing box. Um, So you should be able to find those on the video section. And if they're not, they're all on the YouTube channel. So go to the YouTube channel, put your earphones on. They're all about a half hour. And I really want you guys to know that I am here for you, that we can get through this together, that you are important and the work that you do leading and serving in your communities is really incredibly important. And all of the mindset work that I talk about when I talk about food safety is being brought to bear in our communities right now uh, because our communities need leadership. I know there are a lot of chefs that listen to this podcast uh, and the restaurant world is reeling right now, but there are also a ton of people who are stepping up and figuring out new and innovative ways of doing business. Right now, it seems super scary and I get it, okay? And you are gonna hear me repeating 
on my on the daily lives that I've been doing, but I want you to know that your thoughts are going to create your results. This is not the first time human beings have had a pandemic. This is the most number of people that we've had on the planet with a pandemic. Um, but this is not the, you know, I was, I was talking with somebody and they're like, I get all the restaurants are closing. It was just, it felt just as bad when my restaurant closed last year. Right. And so the acute pain that our community is feeling right now, um, is, is wide and, and spread and, and is, and is, I mean, when you hear Danny Meyer laid off 2000 people, like that hurts. Right. And, and I understand like where those thoughts come from and I am choosing thoughts that says that hurts because I want to be hurt when I hear of tens of thousands of people getting laid off. If you like add it all up, I want to be hurt in that. I don't want to resist that feeling at all. Uh, I really don't because if I'm busy resisting that feeling, I can't be out here helping you. Okay. And so we're talking about that noon on the noon lives um i will be doing those every day um through like the third week of of april okay so i want to invite you to do that um if you are if now is the time where you think you are going where where you're like this is it it's now or never like i've had a ton of conversations about that with people like my business is either going to succeed or fail right now because in 2021 that's the year everybody has the same credit score right um if now's the time i really urge you to book a call go book a blueprint call um that information is pinned to the top of the um to the top of the proving box page and let's get on the phone for a consult and see where you are and see if now is in fact the time for you to start or scale your business because it may very well be uh money is cheap right now and investment is cheap and a lot of what y'all have is time and time plus money plus mindset and you can do anything that you want in your life this may in fact be a really big opportunity and i'm working with a lot of people for whom this is an opportunity okay and so that's i just want you to like consider that um and if you are feeling terrible if you're home with your kids and this sucks lean into that feeling and it'll get better I also recommend online D&D because that's what my kids are doing. <laughs> it has math, it has geography, it has literature. <laughs> so online D&D for us. <laughs> okay, and so with that, on today's podcast, we are talking about justification of your hazards. So we had a couple of mindset podcasts where I interviewed a couple other mind mindset coaches because I was traveling. And so now I'm back from traveling for a very long time. And and I want to talk about how to justify your decisions. So when we write a hazard analysis, okay, and I have now we are on, so over the course of last quarter and this quarter, I have been going over essentially how to write, I'm giving you how to write a food safety plan, okay? Um, and I did all five pre-steps of HACCP, all right? And then a couple of podcasts ago, I did how to write a hazard analysis, okay? Um, so if you haven't listened to those podcasts, a lot of this is going to make a hell of a lot more sense if you do, but it's okay. I, I have varying levels of people who pay attention in class anyway, where I teach all of this in two days, so <laughs> I get it. Um, is that you've written, like, you've written your process flow diagram, receive stuff, store stuff, process package stuff, finished product storage, and then distribution. Okay, that's the short version of everybody's process diagram. 
And then for every step in your process flow diagram, you have analyzed what physical, chemical, or microbial hazards may be present or introduced or controlled at every single one of those steps. When I did the original hazard analysis podcast, I put that file in the proofing box. So if you haven't downloaded, like, I think I call it that, the grid, the hazard analysis grid. If you haven't downloaded that, go download it, okay? And just pick one step of your process, all right? I want you to pick one step of your process, and I want you to think about what physical, chemical, microbial hazards are part of are, are, are part of that one particular step all right and I'm going to do an example because it's kind of the only way that makes sense and I'm going to do one that fits with both USDA and FDA regulated product but not fisheries okay because fisheries is like in its own different universe and your justification is all written in the fisheries hazard guide and have questions about that just DM me it's easier okay um so we're going to talk about preventive controls planning and HACCP planning. Um, so that's preventive controls is, of course, FDA. HACCP planning is USDA. Um, and I, let's pick a step that you all that you all do, okay? And that step is going to be receiving, okay? So we're receiving stuff. When you receive stuff, I want you to think about what actually physically happens during that process, okay? What physically happens during the receive stuff um, process, whether it's meat or casings or spices or milk or dairy or whatever, usually I, when I'm writing the process flow diagram, I have receive refrigerated goods, um, receive dry goods, and then depending on the facility, we have receiving allergens, um, depending on like how much high risk, high care kind of stuff that you have to think about, all right? So if you have allergens in your products, you have to think about that from either a USDA or FDA perspective. Um, and you may wanna have receive allergens as a separate step. For this example, I'm just gonna do it all as one step, okay? As if we're receiving all of this stuff. All right, so at the receiving step, you have physical, chemical, microbial hazards that you have to worry about, and I'm gonna list them just because it's easier, all right? Um, and the physical hazards that we generally worry about at receiving, um, we worry about metal shards, especially if you're receiving carcasses. Um, we worry about pallet shards. So those are like the wooden pallet shards. Like, you know, when, when you've got really crappy pallets, they can shard. Metal twist ties, um, we worry about. We worry about cardboard shards. Um, those are probably the big physical hazards, uh, okay? Um, then we worry about chemical hazards, allergens and um, pesticides, herbicides, rodenticides, depending on what you are bringing in. Um, and, uh, and cleaning chemicals, if you're, if we're like lumping everything together, you're going to, you're receiving, I promise you, you're receiving cleaning chemicals into your facility. All right. Um, and then you have microbial pathogens. Now, that what, which microbes are walking into your facility is completely dependent upon what food you are making, uh, okay? I just did um, a whole, I think I, did, I spent like an hour on the salt-cured pig. So if you're not part of the salt-cured pig, go join the salt-cured pig. Um, but I spent an hour, I think, on Sunday talking about pathogens and, and that sort of stuff. And I have a ton of information on on the various pathogens that come in with various foods. All right, 
but we're just going to list the, the two big ones, salmonella and shigatoxin E. coli at receiving. All right. So you go and you say, these are the things that are being introduced, um, enhanced or controlled at this step. And that's what we did in, in starting your hazard analysis. Like that's step six. Um, all right. Now we're justifying whether or not these hazards are reasonably likely to occur. All right. And when I talk about justifying, what you need to do is you need to like sit down and write in a paragraph form whether or not these hazards are reasonably likely to occur. Okay. And then on the hazard analysis in that little square that I have, we're just going to write the very, very bare bones. Okay. So it goes, what you're doing for, let's just start with physical hazards. All right. So we, we identified metal, cardboard, um, probably, I mean, if you're receiving in glass, you've got to include glass there. So metal, cardboard, wood, and glass. All right. Now, here's the first question I want you to ask yourself. In the facility, as it occurs right now, have you ever gotten metal, cardboard, wood, or glass in the food? And the answer is probably no. All right. And so that's really key when you're justifying your decision. So you're going to write, a, you're going to go to like a Word document and you're going to say, we've identified metal, glass, cardboard, and wood as hazards that may be introduced, enhanced, or controlled at this step. Period. We have never had an issue with this plant of metal, glass, cardboard, um, or wood hazards in our food, period. Our receiving standard operating procedure works well enough to make these hazards not reasonably likely to occur, period. That is a full complement of decision-making documentation for physical hazards at the receiving step, okay? And then over on the HACCP grid, or not the HACCP grid, the hazard analysis grid, you are going to write in the justify your decision box, this hazard is not reasonably likely to occur, NRLTO, because of the receiving SOP. And that's what you put down, okay? So there's a box there that says, is this hazard like likely to occur? And the answer is no because you have a receiving SOP in place. And I want you to think about this for a minute, okay? It's not reasonably likely to occur because you are making it not reasonably likely to occur, all right? This is fundamentally different. Cooking food, cooking your food destroys pathogens. A receiving protocol where that functions prevents any hazards from coming in your door that you don't already know about, all right? When you're cooking hazard, when you're food, you are I'm controlling hazards at this step. Ergo, the hazards are reasonably likely to occur. Okay, there's there are more subtleties to it, but just trust me on that. And we'll cover that in more podcasts. At this step, and at any further steps, your standard operating procedures are designed. They literally exist to make your hazards not reasonably likely to occur. If your hazards are not 
reasonably likely to occur, then you don't have to control them, which means you don't have to write a critical control point or a preventive control. You don't have to do all of that documentation. You don't have to do a 90-day validation. You don't have to swab for anything. So, if you can have a standard operating procedure um, process that actually makes your hazards not reasonably likely to occur, then you are in much better shape when it comes to your food safety plan. Okay, much, much, much better shape. So with that in mind, let's talk about chemical hazards. Okay, and so say you're receiving stuff and one of the things that you are receiving is milk and eggs. Milk and eggs are big eight allergens. Okay, those are a chemical hazard as defined by United States law, all right? So you have to identify them in your food safety plan and you have to identify them as allergens, okay? Then over on your decision-making documentation, you're gonna write, this facility receives milk and eggs, period. Milk and eggs are identified as two of the big eight, and you put the big eight in quotes, as, uh, Milk and eggs are two of the big eight allergens as identified by US federal law. If you are in a different country, you need to find out what the allergens are in your country. I guarantee milk and eggs are on there, but you may have other things like mustard and sesame seed and those sorts of things. So it's more than eight allergens in places not called America. All right, so that's your decision-making documentation for your allergens. You're receiving allergens, okay? And it's okay, we are, we are gonna figure it out in other parts of your food safety, um, in other parts of your food safety plan, okay? The hazards are reasonably likely to occur in your final product, frankly, depends on who is regulating you, all right? Under USDA, if you have an allergen control plan, they say it's a prerequisite program and your allergens are not reasonably likely to occur to harm somebody because you have a label on it. If you're part of the FDA, they say your allergens are reasonably likely to occur and you have to have a preventive control for it. It's called an allergen preventive control, okay? I'll be covering that in more detail in later, in later podcasts. So at this step, you've received allergens, but you're receiving a whole bunch of other stuff as well, okay? Um, and what I usually say, because our receiving docs, we break the Clorox comes in, the soap comes in, the scrubbies come in, the meat, the poultry, the eggs, the spices, the whatever, it's all on the loading dock, right? Your receiving and storage SOP makes a lot of, all the, all the chemical hazards that are not allergens, not reasonably likely to occur. And your chemical hygiene plan also makes your allergens not reasonably likely to occur. So on your decision-making documentation, what I want you to write down is all chemicals brought into the facility are brought in under our chemical hygiene plan and therefore chemical hazards at receiving are not reasonably likely to occur because you're not spilling chemicals everywhere, right? Like that would be a mess. You're not doing that. This is why you're doing like 80% of the actions of food safety already, uh, right? So... That's what you're going to write about, about chemical hazards, all right? So that, that, should, that should pretty much cover uh, your allergens and any chemicals that you receive, all right? Then now let's talk about pathogens. 
We identified Shigatoxin E. coli and Salmonella as hazards that are coming in with your product. Now, there is, this is not going to surprise anybody who listens to this podcast, a disagreement between the USDA and the FDA about uh, whether or not pathogens in pasteurized dairy products are reasonably likely to occur. So there is a receiving, there's a template food safety plan out there from our friends at the FDA. Template, uh, it's, it's actually our teaching model in the controls class where we have a facility that is receiving pasteurized processed cheese food, like Kraft singlets, right? Those, they, they identify in this teaching model shigatoxin E. coli and salmonella as reasonably likely to occur in pasteurized processed cheese food. If I ever find out any of you all are saying that in pasteurized cheese, shigatoxin E. coli and salmonella and campylobacter are reasonably likely to occur, I will come through the computer and I will like beat you up because that's ridiculous. So that is not how the food system works. Let us not introduce that nonsense, please. Please. I don't like pasteurized processed cheese food, but I guarantee you it does not have sugar toxin E. coli and salmonella in it. All right. And so please be reasonable. If you're receiving raw milk, why then yes, you have sugar toxin E. coli and salmonella and campylobacter associated with that but not if you're receiving cheese from a known source that's never had a problem, okay? And so that's what you write in your decision-making documentation. Products all come from an approved supplier. Suppliers have never had a, a recall with shigatoxin E. coli and salmonella. Our approved supplier program makes this hazard not reasonably likely to occur. The end, okay? If you are receiving raw meat, I gotta tell you, like if you're receiving raw beef, shigatoxin E. coli is reasonably likely to occur. So in your decision-making documentation, you write, raw beef is a known source of shigatoxin E. coli. The end. Because then we have to control for it somewhere else. All right, and just because you bring it in here doesn't mean you have to do anything about it except document whether or not the hazard is reasonably likely to occur at this step and create the decision-making documentation. Now, why do I harp on decision-making documentation? It's because I'm an auditor. And the number one reason companies fail their USDA FSA audit, so that's their food safety assessment, it's the audit that you'll have about a year after you go into USDA production. The reason most companies have a hard time is because they don't have that making documentation plan to hand to the inspector, the EIAO, all right? You need that decision-making documentation for them so that you can create, um, so that you can create the, the process that you want, so, all right? So that you can, you can justify what you are saying. Um, the second thing is, is that if you are going after a third-party audit, it is entirely likely that your third-party auditor is going to ask you for that decision-making documentation. If you are doing an SQF audit, you have to have, and a, and a BRC audit, now that I say that, because it'll be part of your management, um, your, your management meeting notes, you have to have all of that stuff documented 
And actually enough for an audit, for on that hazard analysis, for it to say, um, our approved supplier program makes this not reasonably likely to occur. On your paragraph form decision-making documentation, I want you to write, so why it's not reasonably likely to occur. You've, your suppliers have never had the problem. That's a great reason uh, for it to be not reasonably likely to occur, all right? So then you're gonna go through and you're gonna do that for every single step. Now, I will tell you, once you've introduced the hazard, you don't have to introduce it again, uh, unless you're writing a fisheries hazard, but that's a whole different beast. Once you, once you introduce the salmonella at the receiving step, you don't then again relist it at the storage step. And you don't relist it, all right, if you decided you're bringing in and pork is has salmonella is reasonably likely to occur you don't mention the salmonella again until you're at the control step if you are indeed ever paying for it pork, you're going to rinse it off okay and you're going to use that as a as your i mean you're going to use it as your control and so you'll you'll um have that listed under your process steps but you're not gonna list the salmonella until you get to that process step. Each step, of course, is gonna have one hazard grid associated with it, all right? It really shouldn't take you all of that long to do this. Some things that go really, really south on this is when people write their standard operating procedure into their HACCP plan. So instead of putting it on a separate piece of paper, and I want a separate piece of paper literally because it isn't part of your HACCP plan. If you are in USDA production and have a HACCP plan or you're in FDA production and have the food safety plan, like a preventive controls plan, if you write your standard operating procedure into your justification on the pieces of paper that you call your HACCP or preventive controls plan, all of a sudden it becomes fair game at a much higher level to your inspector. So if you say, instead of, if you, if, if instead of saying our approved supplier program makes salmonella not reasonably likely to occur, and instead you put in one big old long paragraph, all incoming supplies are reviewed and validated for salmonella salmonella is not known to have happened in any of our in any of our products um, all coas will be checked um, and all suppliers will be contacted once a quarter to ascertain their level of risk for salmonella you put that all in your HACCP plan you better come hell or high water have all of that documentation absolutely squared away because if you don't, you're in violation of your HACCP plan, which is a much bigger deal than just being in violation of an SOP, okay? So we do what's called, I call it programs-based food safety, where we take all of our standard operating papers and we write all of those first. And then once we know what standard operating procedures we have that are making hazards not reasonably likely to occur, then we write our HACCP or our preventive controls plan that allows for um, the fewest number of critical control points or preventive controls.
Because yes, you can write a HACCP or preventive controls plan where everything is a critical control point, but if everything's a critical control point, nothing is a critical control point because that is not how human brains work. Um, all right, so if that's like that, where we are in terms of the food safety planning process, this process works for both FDA and USDA. This is, I'm teaching what we call the Codex HACCP process. I will be back in a couple of weeks. Um, I got to look at the, I got to look at the schedule, but I'll be back in a couple of weeks and we're going to talk about setting critical control points. All right. And the preview is, is if your hazards are reasonably likely to occur, they must be controlled. So I want you to think about that. And I'll, and I, I announced the event, you know, towards the beginning of the week, every time. So bring, bring your hazard analysis, bring your questions. And let's really dive into what your critical control points are. Alrighty? So, that's what we got for the podcast today. Everybody, thank you. I'm so glad that you have decided to join me. And it's a delight to have you here on the podcast. And we will see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. Be sure to join us in the Proofing Box, a private Facebook page for food producers filled with valuable information and technical tips. Grow your business by learning from people just like you, all under the guidance of a food safety expert.